All right. Good morning. Good morning. Sorry, I'm a little late. I had a couple issues needing to sort through. I actually still have a couple issues, but I'm just going to go with it. All right. Time for some music. Good morning, everyone. Sorry, I'm a couple minutes late. Had a couple things I needed to uh, mess with the computer. I, I, my bookmarks didn't sync up with um with what I, the way I prep the show. I have some stuff bookmarked, then I try and organize it, and I have the browser sync between devices, and uh, they didn't sync up. So uh, my presentation is a little, it's a little wonky this morning. Things things are discombobulated which is why my nose is itching a lot. Also because I walked through a flower bush. I I had flowers like in my beard before I was going on. That was nothing that made me late. I was combing pollen and flowers out of my beard. So anyway, welcome to the show. It is Friday. This is Just Human number 202. And I have a few topics to go over the, today. This a smattering of things. I thought about doing a deep, di a deep dive into some legal filings, namely the Santos indictment. Uh, but I think instead of doing, it would take the whole show, but instead of doing that, I think I'm going to hit a number of topics, a range of them may go back later and read the Santos indictment. Um, I, I, we are going to talk, we'll talk about George here in a minute. Um, first, first thing I want to talk about, I think is going to be uh, Trump being on CNN. 
I know we talked about in the Devolution Power Hour. Man, the Devolution Power Hour last last Wednesday night. If you missed it, you need to go see it. It was a lot of fun, and um, it it was pretty good. And something happened during it, which I am uh, or it happened right afterwards. Well, no, it happened during it, and then at, there's something else that happened afterward that I'm pretty excited about. But um, I thought it was great that Trump went on CNN. I thought that he did an absolute stellar job and I think it's well received. I think it, I don't know if it drove his poll numbers up, but it, I don't know if he won any voters, but I do think that he may have softened up some people who, uh, aren't going to vote for him. They're committed CNN watchers cause they're still watching CNN, but they may have gone from seething hatred at him to, just hatred. I think he humanized himself. Um, I think he did himself a lot of favors. I don't know that it earned him votes, but that may not matter. Uh, long term, I think he did a good job. And I also think it's amazing. And I said this on Devolution Power. I think it's amazing how Trump was able to take the news cycle, which was full on against him, saying he was a rapist and a, he assaulted, sexually assaulted E. Jean Carroll in a closet or a changing room or whatever like the news cycle was completely against trump there was some desantis stuff going on too and then trump is able to just flip that around completely so quickly uh absolutely amazing and you can see the effect of it right here patriots in control is right or patriots are in control you can you can find him on twitter patriot control uh make sure you put a zero in for the O right here, and you can look him up, give him a follow, because he does great stuff like this. Fact checks coming out the night after are a sure sign that Trump spoke a lot of truth. I mean, it's just a, a, a it's like a checkered flag that says you won the race. When you see all of these same, these usual suspects, even seeing in themselves, deciding they got to fact check everything that Trump said because they got to keep their matrix of falsehoods in place protect their readers from hearing the truth, keep them misinformed. They wanted to overdrive to make sure that everybody had the same talking point. And uh, yeah, really good evidence. Uh, it looks like HuffPost was first at 3.28 a.m. That's a good sign. Uh, Chris Licht, we're going to go through this article here in a minute. Chris Licht is the C CEO um, uh, or chairman of CNN who is a Trump supporter and defended their decision. We're going to go back to this article in just a moment. First, I want to go over here to Burning Bright, who said, look at the absolute shell shock on the faces of the rest of this panel. We're going to listen to this Byron Donald's clip. Let me make sure it's unmuted. There we go. Oh, I better uh, better give y'all some some volume. There we go. It would help if you could hear it. But a couple of things. First of all, town halls are for the voters, not for the press, not for the person who's the moderator. Caitlin spent more time interjecting her own viewpoints or her own look, views on the situation. Me, the, the, hold, those are actually hold, facts. Hold, facts now, are you, hold on. Are you guys not going to interject your well, views on here? Do I get a chance to right, speak now? If you're speaking okay, falsely, wait a second, wait a those second, were facts. Wait a 
The town hall is for the president to speak to the voters of New Hampshire, not for this back and forth well, that's with, with media. Who that's number that? one. Hold on. That's, hold on. That's number one. Number two, with respect to Ukraine, I totally disagree. He did not say he was just going to give over Ukraine the way you intimate, Van. He did not say that. He didn't say he, what was, he, said he did was, not say that he Van, was going to give over Ukraine. What he said was is that he would actually look for a solution to end it quickly. He put 24 hours on it, but let's be very clear. What Joe Biden has done has been a disaster because initially with Ukraine. Joe Biden wanted to give Vladimir Zelensky a, a ride out of Dodge. He wanted to give him a plane ride. And it wasn't until people in Moscow, in Ukraine, here in the United States said this invasion is wrong, that Joe Biden reversed course. Do you want a victory in Ukraine? Do you want a victory in Ukraine? I'm just trying to respond to everything that's been coming up on the table. I find it interesting that, okay, one, it's great that Van, seeing Van Jones get shut down by Donald's is, is awesome. That's just awesome in and of itself, regardless of what the topic is. But on this Ukraine thing specifically, I said on Devolution Power Hour that the trap that that they were setting up for Trump on the Ukra the Russia Ukraine conflict was that Trump was going to be trapped. At, like it was like three different ways he could be trapped. He could be trapped in saying that he wanted Russia to win. They would have used that against him. He could have said he wanted Ukraine to win. They would have used that against him to try and turn his own MAGA base against him because the MAGA base is over here thinking maybe not that Russia's a good guy, but that Ukraine ain't good guys either, and the conflict should just be over, and they're not really all that bothered that, I mean, honestly, that, that Russia is killing some Nazis in Ukraine. So, and then you got the biolab stuff. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of reasons why the MAGA base is a little bit softer on Russia and a little bit more warm towards uh, Putin than the other side is. And so they wanted Trump to say either Russia, he wants Russia to win and they were to use that against him saying he was puppet of, of Putin, whatever. Or if he said he wanted Ukraine to win, then he would, they would use that against his base to try and make him lose votes with the base. Um, and then the other thing he could have said and it is uh, also with the money. If he said he's wanted the war to, he wanted to support Zelensky or wanted to support Ukraine and want them to win. Well, that would be an implicit support of more money and more weapons and equipment to Ukraine. So that would have also turned off his base. Um, and then he, he did, he, he found the, the right answer by just saying, no, I just want people to stop killing each other. I just want there to be peace. Uh, the war needs to be over. We just need to stop killing people. And th that was the perfect answer. And the answer that seized a high ground that nobody had pointed out yet. It's like, we know that high ground is there. Trump made sure to seize it and say, no, like everybody can seize the high ground here with me of let's just stop killing people and end the war and work things out that way. So anyway, Trump was brilliant how he handled it. This exchange with um, Van Jones immediately getting destroyed by Donald's. What is Van Jones reply? He knows he got destroyed. You could see it on his face. You could see it on his face right here. He knows that he is getting owned by Donald's. So what is his reply? He tries to set the same exact trap for Donald's by saying, do you want Ukraine to win? Because I, and I think guys, that Joe Biden reversed court. Here, well, listen, right here. Do you want a victory in Ukraine? Do you, do you want a victory in Ukraine? That's how he, he's framing it. Do you want a victory in Ukraine? which frames things up as a, instead of it being, do you support Ukraine or do you support Russia? It's implicit 
it's a it's a given that we support Ukraine. Don't you want them to win? That's what he's saying. Don't you want don't don't you want a victory? Victory sounds better than saying you want a loss. You wouldn't say you want a loss. That's how that's he's using that language on per, on purpose. He's choosing that word victory on purpose right here. I think that this is a I think we're going to see more of this. It's hitting me right now that Van Jones immediately replied with, with that. And Van Jones is one of the intelligentsia types on the left. I think this is going to be a tactic going forward from the media that Republican candidates need to expect this. They're going to try and dupe you into either saying you support Russia or you approve of Russia or you're not anti-Russia or whatever. And they're going to try and use that to frame you as a slave to Putin or a, uh, um, a, a Russian asset or propagandist or whatever. Or if you don't, they're going to frame you as um, too MAGA. They're going to make sure MAGA knows that you're soft on Zelensky and you want more money to go over there. You want the war to continue. See, like yeah, this is a trap. Th this was that was the first time they tried it last on uh, that town hall. Do you, do you want to? Yeah, I'm just trying important. to respond to everything that's been coming up on the table. Last thing, let me say this: um, we spent 20, 22, 23 minutes. And Byron, you know, he evaded that. He didn't answer that question to Van Jones. Instead, he sidestepped it and said, I, "I'm just trying. I'm just trying to answer the questions that are on the table." And he didn't answer that question from uh, Van Jones. It's talking about January sixth. Uh, we could have been talking about a whole lot of other issues instead of do doing that for the first half hour or so. But let me be very clear. What was said in this town hall about National Guard troops that were authorized by, by Caitlin was wrong. I'm on the oversight committee. I was in two hearings on January 6th. It was testified in oversight that Donald Trump authorized National Guard troops on January 4. He followed up in the call with then acting Secretary of Defense on January 5, trying to see where the deployment was on those troops. That is testimony in the Oversight Committee. Everybody testified in Oversight Committee when Nancy Pelosi was Speaker of the House, except one organization, and that was the Capitol Police. Did you read the Secretary Nancy of Pelosi would book? not allow that. The, it, I'm telling well, I'm telling you what was testified to in the Oversight what, Committee right. under oath. Well, let me just correct And he owns them on that. There's nothing they can say to that. He was in the room. He's literally the guy in the room. So, like, they got nothing on that. They're going to continue to spout their lie because it's, you know, some of the lies that they stick, that the left and media especially stick to, the lies they, they stick to over and over and over again, no matter what facts and evidence are presented to them, those lies are the ones that are most important. Those lies are the ones that are most important to their matrix of falsehoods, as I like to call it. And that lie about Trump not sending troops, not wanting troops there, it speaks to the importance that them sticking by that lie in the face of obvious evidence against it. Stick. It speaks to that how important that lie is. I've gone over it before. What they wanted to have happen, ideally was for MAGA to riot and go inside the Capitol and be in the insurrectionist they accuse him of being, and then to have Trump order the National Guard to get them out, and they could have framed it as Trump was performing a military coup. That was an, That's another layer of the January 6th trap, is that they were dreaming of Trump being put in a position where he would call forth the military or National Guard, uh, 
that they would they would he would call in the military and have the military put down a MAGA insurrection. The media would have framed it, and the Democrats and the Unit Party would have framed it as Trump trying to pull off a military coup. And because Trump didn't call in the military, then it screwed up their, that part of their trap. It screwed up their plan. So now what they have to do is they have to lie about what happened and say that Trump refused to call in the military. He wouldn't bring them in. He wouldn't put down his supporters because his the they were his insurrectionist. He didn't want to stop his insurrectionist. It was a it was a damned if you do, damned if you don't type setup that that they did to him. Which is why Trump was so brilliant to authorize troops and then to reach out again the day before and be like, "Hey, are you sure you don't want this? You sure you don't need um some more national guard troops?" Now this this segment with Anderson Cooper. <laughs> Check this out. Oh yeah, I need to unmute it. You are upset that someone. Many many of you have expressed deep anger and disappointment. Many of you are upset that someone who attempted to destroy our democracy was invited to sit on a stage in front of a crowd of Republican voters to answer questions, and predictably continued to spew lie after lie after lie. And I get it. It was disturbing. It was disturbing to see and hear that person refer to a black law enforcement officer as a thug, an adjective he used many times to describe black men, and call Caitlin Collins, the moderator, nasty, which is what he calls any woman who stands up to him. It was disturbing to hear him speak so highly of QAnon <laughs> conspirators and insurrectionists who assaulted police officers in our democracy on January 6th. And it was awful to hear him spread ridiculous lies about the election. And it was certainly disturbing to hear that audience, young and old, our fellow citizens, people who love their kids and go to church, laugh and applaud his lies and his continued defamation of a woman who, according to a jury of his peers, he sexually abused and defamed. As good a job as Caitlin Collins did trying to fact check him, it is impossible to fact check fully because he lies so shamelessly. <laughs> now, many of you think CNN shouldn't have given him any platform to speak, and I understand the anger about that, giving him the audience, the time, I get that. But this is what I also get. The man you were so disturbed to see and hear from last night, that man is the front runner for the Republican nomination for president. And according to polling, no other Republican is even close. <laughs> Anderson Cooper, which it's I I kind of I had this thought watching his reaction that I think they've I think the new owners at CNN have left Anderson Cooper there on purpose as being one of the last remaining clowns, true clowns at CNN. I think they've left him there on purpose to just represent that element of CNN. And let him do what he does, uh, which is stuff like this. Okay, so Anderson, what I'm hearing as he's speaking about this is I'm hearing him list all the ways Trump succeeded. Like, I guess it's bicameral thinking or I don't know what it is, but I'm him listing all those things. They was disturbing. It was upsetting. It was awful. It's like he's list he's listing off the things where Trump had the most success at bashing their lies. Uh and he's trying to resurrect them uh right here in this clip. He's trying to empathize with the audience. I know it was really upsetting to you to hear Trump on this network. Um 
this is a man losing his grasp. Like they, they know that they have lost the American psyche. They don't have their thumb on the public's pulse and they can't do anything about Trump speaking truth. And uh, he's just trying to salvage whatever he can. That man you were so upset to hear from last night, he may be president of the United States in less than two years. And that audience that upset you, that's a sampling of about half the country. They are your family members, your neighbors, and they are voting. And many said they're voting for him. Now, maybe you haven't been paying attention to him since he left office. Maybe you've been enjoying not hearing from him, thinking it can't happen again. Some investigation is gonna stop him. Well, it hasn't so far. So if last night showed anything, it showed it can happen again. It is happening again. He hasn't changed, and he is running hard. You have every right to be outraged today and angry and never watch this network again. But do you think staying in your silo and only listening to people you agree with is going to make that person go away? It's amazing. All right, I don't want to get to that yet. All right, I saw it come up in chat. It was Lynn. Thank you, Lynn, for linking this to me. Where did it go? I saw it in chat. I saw it. Where did it go? There it is. There it is. So, about Caitlin. About Caitlin. Expose fake scandals covered. Caitlin used to be at the Daily Caller. And thanks again, Lynn, for uh, for linking this in chat. Uh, Caitlin Collins used to be at the Daily Caller, and she used to appear on Fox. And I, I knew she looked familiar to me um, during the the town hall, uh, but I thought it was just because I had seen her on CNN so often. Um, so I was like. You know, I, I, that's what I attribute it to. But now I think that she registered in my brain as someone familiar to me because I'd seen her on Fox. Um, all right. So anyway, check out this clip of uh, of Caitlin here. Covered by the press, there are a lot of them. A ton of reporters, including many White House correspondents, prefer to push conspiracies without evidence rather than ask about real issues. And they don't like it when reporters with a different agenda enter their safe space. In fact, including to one reporter. Dissidents in the White House briefing room are resented and bullied for not adhering to a certain line. Caitlin Collins is a White House correspondent for The Daily Caller. She's new to the beat, and she joins us now. Caitlin, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. So there was this amazing moment in January. So uh, Sean Spice, the new press secretary, asked the first question not to the AP reporter, but to the reporter from The New York Post. All of a sudden, there was this uproar on Twitter. Reporters who literally weren't even born when Barack Obama was elected were complaining about the breach of tradition. Why the resentment? The press is throwing a royal tantrum because they can't control what the country is talking about. For the last eight years, they've all decided what the question should be, and they've all gone in there and asked the same question. And now that they're not being called on, they can't control what the news is about, and it's driving them crazy. So you show up there right after the inauguration. You haven't covered the White House before. You don't work at the Boston Globe or the New York Times. What kind of reception did you get? It's definitely a little tense, but I'm not really there to impress them. I'm there to ask the questions my readers want answered, and I'm not there to ask what they want me to ask. I don't get the questions that CNN wants. I don't get the questions that MSNBC wants. I ask what my readers want me to ask, because outside in the real world where the other 300 million people live, they don't care about 
you know, personnel issues that MSNBC is asking. So you actually took some heat from other reporters when you at a press conference at the moment when Mike Flynn was having all his troubles, National Security Advisor, you asked a question uh, to the podium about what the foreign policy challenges facing the country are. And what was the response to that? It was very heated. I got a lot of criticism on Twitter. A lot of people came up to me and asked if the White House told me what to ask, which is offensive. And I asked a big picture question about national security and who we're gonna get into a war with next. And that matters more to real people than a personnel question of who's working in the White House. No one will remember Mike Flynn's name by next year. I think that's totally fair. You're obviously pretty immune to the criticism of- Now, uh, obviously she was wrong on that count, but listen, listen to her articulate some of this stuff and think about her being at Daily Caller, which Tucker Carlson started, if I recall correctly, Tucker Carlson started Daily Caller. And um, I'm pretty sure that's true. Pretty sure that's it. He started it and then he worked he worked there and then he got picked up by Fox, but he kept Daily Caller going. I'm pretty sure. But um, regardless, she used to be on Fox all the time. And this isn't the only clip that um, I saw. I saw other clips floating around. I shared one of them on uh, Telegram that uh, Ryan Faircloth uh, linked to me. And I had to, th I had to think. You know what? She was so perfect at this town hall. She was so incredibly perfect. She was exactly representative of the nagging liberal who has been indoctrinated with all the CNN, WAPO, New York Times talking points, regurgitating the same lies, falsehood, misinformation. Um, little combative with Trump at times, but just enough so that he could shut her down. Um, shrill enough to bother you, but not so shrill that it would turn off everybody. Uh, she was absolutely perfect for that Trump town hall. And she'd set Trump up to put on the performance that he did, which was stellar. So I don't think it's all that far-fetched to look at her and think, we have a ghost in the machine at CNN. We have a ghost in the machine at CNN, and it's Caitlin Collins. And at some point, she left Daily Caller and went to CNN to be an inside person. And... It it culminated in her performance on Wednesday night, and that was her fulfilling her role. And now I'm going to pay more attention to her to see what else she does um, and to see how long she sticks around at CNN. So and I know I know some people are like, ah, I don't like the kayfabe. I don't like thinking about things that way. I just like things being matter of fact and whatnot. Well, you're really not going to like my la my next segment, if that's you. <laughs> you're really not going to like what I'm going to say next, because live on Devolution Power Hour, after the debate, after the town hall, I said, has anybody started uh, whining? I've, has, have the other people, the other press outlets started condemning CNN for having Trump on it all? And... Um, bemoaning that Trump did that, that this is, uh, they're enabling and platforming a, a convicted rapist and insurrectionist and um, criminal and all this stuff. As has anybody started doing that yet? 
that'll be a sure sign that things are going that things are going really well and Trump succeeded. And live on air, people were sitting in chat telling me AOC, AOC, AOC. And sure enough, AOC, the greatest Judas goat to ever, ever enter politics, was going off as soon as the town hall was over. Um, there is simply no way CNN can feign ignorance about the fact that they set up a sexual assault victim to be targeted and attacked on national television a day after the verdict. People were sounding the alarm about this exact scenario. They let it happen anyway, without a plan. This, the choice of a plat- the choice to platform election disinformation, lies about January 6th, totally unchecked and reckless claims about abortion. They need to take ownership they being CNN, of what just happened. This cannot be normalized. It's dangerous. Guys, AOC is a freaking Judas goat. She came out the gate making sure to set the tone and lead all these radicals on the left over the cliff edge to condemn CNN for having Trump on it all. It's beautiful. And she does it over and over. It was just last week that she, uh, she tweeted out deplatforming works and like the next day or two days later tucker announces he's going to do his show exclusive on twitter and is already having more views on his videos on twitter than he had at fox that all of fox has in a day it's amazing it's absolutely amazing she leads people to the slaughter she leads bad ideas on the left to be slaughtered. She leads politicians. She leads the media. And then, after this, after this, she retweeted this post. Now, I bookmarked it so it doesn't show it, but I promise you, you can go check her profile unless she, un- unless she undid it. Uh, she retweeted this post immediately after this here, I'll just go ahead and check. I don't know how much she's tweeted since then. It would actually be more interesting if she did delete it. Maybe there it is. Okay. This right here. If you left your almost full journal and a copy of Aurelius meditations on the Q train, DM me so I can send them back to you. I know I'd be heartbroken if I lost my diary. Now, this is an account. It's a journalist with New York Times, Vice, NBC. All right. Could understand why she'd be following this person. And I could understand why she would be concerned about a lost book and trying to help somebody get their journal and their book back. But Marcus Aurelius's Meditations is a book that the character of AOC that she portrays on Twitter and in the house wouldn't be caught dead with. Like everything in this book is the exact opposite of what the woke left premises their worldview on. I mean, I mean, Marcus Aurelius's Meditations is the kind of book that I could see AOC describing as a radical, um, radical right wing, uh, almost religious book meant to undermine progress uh, towards 
freedom for underprivileged minorities. Like, like I could see her writing all sorts of padlum about meditations. So this, it's odd that she would retweet this because of that. Okay. But maybe she just cared more about the book, but then the fact that it's the Q train. Hmm. That's an interesting hit. And um, Tanner Brown, good morning. Yeah, I know for a fact that AOC can read. I've read her papers. She was, um, I mean, I'm glad you asked that. AOC was a libertarian in college. Look, the, the idea that AOC is a, um, a Judas goat is not my own idea. It's, um, I think Thomas Wichter was the first person to start putting it forward. It makes a ton of sense. She was not a leftist in college. She was a libertarian. She wrote papers about libertarianism. By the way, libertarians love, or at least tend to love this book. Um, I know she knows what it is. She was recruited um, by Justice Democrats in a, uh, a campaign to actually find someone to run for the seat. It was a casting call and they called it a casting call. And she was picked up for it because of her acting skills. So there's just too many things. It makes more sense that she's a Judas goat than that she's not. Think about all the meme templates she's given us. Think about how she's educated everybody on uh, the green new deal, which was a bunch of nonsense, but now it's synonymous with, uh, wacky climate change policies that are detrimental to the economy. So anyway, uh, I thought it was great that AOC, well, she kind of like made me seem really smart <laughs> on Devolution Power Hour. All right. CNN chairman defends his decision. Back to this New York Times article. The chairman of CNN, Chris Licht, issued a robust defense on Thursday on his decision to broadcast live a town hall with Trump. It was an unruly embracing event that has prompted criticism inside and outside of the network on a network wide editorial call. Mr. Licht congratulated the moderator, Caitlin Collins on quote, a masterful performance before acknowledging the public backlash quote. We all know covering Donald Trump is messy and tricky and it will continue to be messy and tricky, but it's our job. I absolutely unequivocally believe America was served very well by what we did last night. People woke up and they know what the stakes are in this election in a way that they didn't the day before. And if someone was going to ask those, ask those tough questions and have that messy conversation, it damn, damn well should be CNN. The town hall, which aired in primetime on Wednesday, featured Mr. Trump deploying a fusillade of falsehoods, sometimes too quickly for the moderator to intercept. By the way, they did five times, their viewing numbers were five times higher than they usually are on that night. Miss Collins interrupted and corrected Mr. Trump again and again, calling out his lies about the rigged 2020 election and his depiction of January 6th Capitol riot as, quote, a beautiful day. Mr. Trump, however, often talked right over her. The live audience, a group of Republicans and Republican-leaning independent voters, often cheered him on, even when he derided Miss Collins as a nasty person. By the way, on the questions with January 6th. On the question of January 6th that they were getting at with him, 
and then they were asking about pardons. You know, I think that's kind of an example of Collins helping Trump there in a way because it allowed him to bring up that he would he wanted to pardon people, a lot of people for uh, January 6th, and he would pardon them if he if he won or when he wins in 2024. But it also stood out to me that they were trying to that she was trying to get him um, to say she would he would pardon everybody. You notice that? And Trump wouldn't say he would pardon everybody. He said he would. they would look at the cases, but he would be partying, pardoning a lot of people. I think he said, I'll be pardoning a lot of people, probably the majority. I think that's what he said. Um, or Iowa Trump, good morning. Maybe he said most, not all. It was, it was, it was like that. But she was, she was trying to set him up to where if he said all, what are they going to do? They're going to say that Trump supports Oath Keepers and Proud Boys and the other people who actually engaged in some violence and vandalism that day. And that was a trap. They want him to do that and notice he won't, which tells you even more. It tells you how bad Proud Boys and Oath Keepers are. It tells you Trump knows it, too. He knows how bad those groups of people are. And he's probably just glad like he's probably glad like I am. To see them get convicted for their role on January 6th. And he's not going to pardon them. I don't think he'll. I wanted him to say I'll, I'll, I'll pardon all nonviolent. That's what I. That, that's what I want him to say. Um, but she said. But his answer was good enough. So. She was trying to tie him to Proud Boys. Because they want. The left wants to make that connection. And the Proud Boys are trying to make that connection, too, as part of their defense, because they're not for Trump. Critics said it was reckless for the network to provide a live forum for Mr. Trump, given his track record of spreading disinformation. Um, blah, blah, blah. Mr. Licht, who took over CNN last year after the network was acquired by Warner Brothers Discovery, has had a rocky tenure, and some journalists there have bristled at his public comments that the network had veered too far into an anti-Trump stance. He said CNN must appeal to more centrist and conservative voters, a strategy that has support from his corporate superiors. That's what he's going to do, guys. He's going to take the he's going to he's going to try to take CNN to the space that Fox is currently at. Where it's like conservative and it's like mildly con moderate conservative and to the right. That's the audience Fox has. CNN is going to move closer to that space. Which may end up pushing Fox further right eventually. Or Fox will try and get battle it and try and stay there. And they, they can fight each other out and maybe own. Um, becomes um, a bigger network because people move there. I don't know. All right. Enough of that. What time is it? 10.15. I spent too much time on that. Sorry. All right. So I got this and I read the whole thing. This is the 36-page report that the Committee on Oversight released. I read the whole thing. It's, um, it's on my socials and it's on the uh, Oversight Committee's Twitter. Um, you know, I know that people don't I know that some people they're still not on Twitter or they 
can get on Twitter, but they don't want to because they don't like Twitter. They're mad at Twitter. They have a grudge because an account got banned or their friends got banned or whatever. I just want to posit to you that Twitter is just a tool and it's a good idea to use it. It's a useful tool. And one of the ways in which it's useful is to follow accounts such as Catherine Herridge or the Oversight Committee or the Weaponization Committee. Um, even if you don't want to use Twitter, you don't want to be active on it, you don't want to participate in it, that's totally fine. But if you like researching things and keeping up with the news, then I recommend making an account or at least going on Twitter and bookmarking, make a folder and bookmark these important accounts like Catherine Herridge, like Trump's account, Dan Scavino, um, and a number of other places that you know are going to publish things that you're going to be interested in, especially the House Oversight and the, the Weaponization Committee, some others, because they're putting out documents. And these documents are source material that you can use. Um, so anyway, I read this whole thing. We talked about it a lot on Devolution Power Hour. I'm not going to go through it now. It details a number of countries that the Bidens were getting payments from, but what it this what it's missing is a story. There's not much of a story between these factoids, these dates, these receipts for money, these spreadsheets, these LLCs. It's not a fun read. It's um, I found my eyes glassing over about halfway through or so, um, but. It is missing a couple things. And when I when I was reading it, one of the things I kept thinking about is that, okay, what would be an explanation that would nullify this? So you find a connection where there's a transaction here from one LLC, from this company over here out of China to this LLC that's owned by the Bidens or the Bidens friends. And then you see a transaction that results in money being transferred to Biden family members' bank accounts. Okay, what would nullify this to make it seem like they didn't get foreign money for some sort of political influence? And it's that if there can be a receipt produced or an invoice produced for services, or if there's some sort of business they were running that hasn't been, the details of which haven't been included here, and if we had those details, we would know, oh, that company paid this LLC for these services these Biden family members have an investment in that LLC and they're owed this percentage per service rendered or whatever, you know, like they, there can be explanations for these things. And I'm trying to keep that in mind so that I don't get too excited about some of the stuff in here. Because if it's true and accurate that the Bidens had some 20 LLCs that they were taking money to, they were taking money to their personal bank accounts from these 20 LLCs, and these 20 LLCs were getting paid for imaginary businesses, basically, imaginary services, and getting paid by foreign entities for those imaginary services. Um, then we have, we have one of the biggest scandals in American history. And we also have something that's really it's a there's a much bigger story here. Uh, Senator Johnson said that the other day. He said that 
there's a much bigger story here than just the Biden's taking a, a, a some money here and there from foreign entities. There's a much bigger story here. There's a I, I think you have a um, I think this is the disclosure of how politicians are selling their offices. Like, I think this is a breakdown of how it's done, how this political racket of influence is done. And we just got a taste of it with this. Now, really interesting, the guy, this Mr. Popovichu, who uh, uh, Biden was involved with and how he connects to former FBI director Louis Free, who I think is a swamp monster who's making a living off of the European swamp and um, made money off selling his connections to the U.S. But there's a number of really interesting threads you can go through these documents. I think everybody should read them, like I said, so you can see what the actual evidence is that um, they're referring to. Um, But I found in here, and I don't know exactly where it is. It might be... When it's talking about Ye Jianming or Yi Jianming, who was at CEFC. So his name's come up before. He's the guy that flew back to China and got arrested in China reportedly, but then those news reports were taken down. So there was a report that Yi Jianming was arrested um, in China. And then Patrick Ho, the other business partner, was arrested here in the U.S., and remember about a month ago, we had the allegation that Trump had, a, I mean, that Hunter had a mole in the FBI who warned him um, to get his business partner out of the U.S., but then his business partner comes to the U.S. and gets arrested. Um, I think that, well, anyway, what, what, what I found interesting in here is this. There was a story that in 2018... Yi Jianming was arrested by the Chinese authorities, but there's been no, there's never been another, another update. He's believed to have been arrested. Okay. And let me see if I can get, uh, I don't want to mess up. I'm going to, there we go. I wanted to find his name to highlight it to search because if I try, I think I'm going to mess it up if I spell it out. If you go to Wiki, I think it says he's still he's been missing and there's been no update. Um, he has been under detention in China since March of 2018 on charges of bribery. That's what Wiki says, but it doesn't give a source for it, does it? It doesn't give a source for it. And I think the reason is because it was announced that he was arrested in um, two Chinese newspapers, but then both of those newspapers took those stories down. You can find one of them on um, web archive. And so when I saw in this report that Yi Jianming had been detained, Again, and they they said it in this report, Yi was detained by Chinese authorities in 2018. And it was initially reported by Chinese media that his detention in China was ordered directly by the Chinese president, Xi Jinping. His current whereabouts are unknown. Seeing that in this report gives me greater confidence that it actually is true that he was detained 
in 2018 and is still detained. Um, and I think that that speaks to something really interesting here. Yi Jianming and Patrick Ho, both of CEFC, the Chinese company that the Bidens were getting money out of. Yi Jianming leaves America, goes to China, gets arrested on the order on orders from Xi Jinping. Patrick Ho comes to the U.S., gets arrested on orders from our DOJ. <laughs> it's almost like Trump and Xi are working together to drain the swamp. And each one got a high profile criminal in custody at the same time or almost the same time. And both of those criminals are connected to the Bidens. And CEFC is now defunct and the Bidens are looking more and more like unwitting intelligence assets. And we have even more news of that. That that's how they look. Um, I'm going to skip that for now. This is the other document that uh, came out the other day that we were talking about on Power Hour. It is um, has to do with the election interference that the 51 intelligence p folks committed when they signed that letter. This is 65-page report. I have to admit, I have not read this whole thing. And um, I need to. I need to read the whole thing. And I think you should, too. So... You can get it at the Judiciary Committee's uh, website, on their Twitter, or off one of my socials. I posted the link to it there. Um, that thing's super important. We might read it on Monday. We might just go through that whole thing on Monday. I'm not sure. Or I might thread it. Um, all right. I want this. And yeah, I think I want. Yeah, I'm close that. Close that. So, Catherine Harridge, this morning, after reviewing thousands of bank records, GOP House Oversight said some Biden family members and associates, plus their companies, received over $10 million from foreign entities. White House said GOP could not point to a single Joe Biden policy that was unduly influenced. That is the rub. That's where the story has to come in. Like that's the, that's the missing. That's one of the key missing pieces. The Bidens can do what I said was saying earlier. They can produce invoice or receipts saying, look, these are the services that our businesses did. This is the business we were in. We're nothing illegal about our businesses working with foreign companies, whatever they could produce that stuff to explain these, the money they're taking in. Right. Even if they can explain that. If it, if there's the appearance that, U.S. policy was influenced by the Bidens taking this money from these companies, there you have your story. You have your story of money, foreign money going to LLCs, then being transferred to Biden bank accounts, and then afterward, U.S. policy changing to in favor of those companies. We haven't seen that exactly detailed yet, how, these, how they benefited from paying the Bidens, right? And we need that information. I did find, and I mentioned this on Power Hour briefly, oh, my stupid allergies. I did find that Romanian, Popovicu, he got sentenced for corruption in Romania. 
he was reportedly trying to pay Hunter to influence Joe to then influence Romania to drop the investigation into him. So that's what he was trying to get done. It didn't work. The guy got convicted. So if that's what he was paying for, he didn't get what he was paying for. He wasted his money. But I found that part of his corruption scandal had to do with some property in Bucharest. And on that property was a new U.S. embassy. And I'm wondering if there's a scandal there that we don't know about. I'm wondering if this guy, this corrupt Romanian oligarch, Popovicu, I'm wondering if he did some sort of corrupt deal with that land to get the U.S. embassy on it. Like, did he, is there any, I need to dig, I was digging around for it more and I didn't find anything. I didn't find very much news about this Romanian embassy. But I'm really interested to know if the deal that got this Romanian embassy or this new U.S. embassy in Romania built on that land that that guy was later convicted for corruption charges over that land. I'm wondering if there's an unknown case there or maybe a known one. And if he was this guy had bought influence from anybody else in the U.S. government in order to get that that embassy built on that land. There could be a scandal here that we're not aware of, like with the bushes. I think it would have I think the timeline works out that it that that Romanian embassy the property deal would have been done at the end of the Bush administration or very early in the Obama administration. So, um anyway, there could be more there. That's just one example. This is one thing I found uh based on that guy's name and his previous case. Now, this article is interesting as is this from Paul Sperry. Paul Sperry wrote, unironically, that court records revealed the FBI monitored Hunter and Jimmy Biden's phone and email conversations with Chinese partner Patrick Ho, tracked their bank transactions, and raided Ho's offices while prosecuting Ho for bribery and money laundering, but not the Bidens. Dun, dun, dun. In other words, they were being assets. It's right there in front of us. It is right there in front of us. It's so easy to see. Paul Sperry is spelling it out plain as day. The Bidens weren't arrested for money laundering and bribery because they were serving as assets. So the question becomes, when did that start? And has it ended? At the same time, the Department of Justice officials were using spying and corruption statutes to aggressively pursue Donald Trump's allies based on what turned out to be rumor and innuendo. They declined to use those same laws to investigate evidence of wrongdoing by the Bidens. DOJ documents and federal court records reveal. In 2016 to 2017, the evidence shows the FBI raided the offices and intercepted the communications of Xi Ping Patrick Ho, a Chinese national suspected of espionage, even as he was negotiating business deals with former Vice President Joe Biden's son Hunter and brother James. 
DOJ later used information obtained from the searches and wiretaps, which included conversations with the president's son and brother, to convict Ho of bribery and money laundering as part of a separate corruption case involving United Nations officials. But it declined to tap into its trove of evidence, including over 100,000 emails, to explore the connections between Ho and the Bidens, who received millions of dollars from Ho and a Chinese intelligence front and discussed sharing office space. At Ho's 2018 trial, prosecutors hid Hunter's connection to Ho, redacting his name from court exhibits, while describing Ho as, quote, the person who flies around the world paying bribes to advance the interest of the oil company CEFC China Energy. A federal database shows the Bidens failed to register as foreign agents while engaged in activities on behalf of CEFC, a state-owned entity suspected of being a front for Chinese intelligence. The DOJ did not prosecute the Biden family for potential violations. And from the Washington Examiner. On Wednesday, House Republicans unveiled their 36-page report, illuminating a complex web of shell companies operated for the lucrative benefit of several Biden family members. Let's set aside legal and ethical implications of this affair, which raises questions about what those foreigners thought they were getting in exchange for large sums of money. My wheelhouse is counterintelligence, protecting American interest and persons against foreign espionage efforts. Here's the report's findings, which focus on communist China and can confidently be termed explosive. This guy is former, it's John Schindler. He's former NSA. The outline of the story has been known since Hunter Biden's laptop came to light in 2020, despite extensive efforts by the Democrat media tech complex to hide its contents. The heart of the scandal is lucrative dealings by the Biden Incorporated with a Beijing firm called CEFC China Energy which appeared out of nowhere a decade ago and quickly became a big player in global energy markets only to mysteriously disappear in 2018. CEFC was the firm that Biden Incorporated got chummy with once Joe Biden ended his second term as vice president in January 2017. CEFC's efforts to enter a relationship with Biden Incorporated date to late 2015, when Joe Biden was still vice president. Moreover, CEFC employed multiple shell companies to mask high-dollar payments to Biden Incorporated. Hunter Biden forged relationships with CEFC's boss, Yi Jianming, as well as Gongwen Kevin Dong, who was CEFC's emissary to the United States. Hunter Biden likewise got chummy with another CEFC bigwig, He Ping Patrick Ho. Ho was the friend memorably referred to by Hunter Biden as the fucking ch- spy boss of China. In other words, Hunter Biden knew exactly what sort of people his friends from Beijing were. During the critical 2017 to 2018 timeframe, it was hardly a secret that CEFC was closely allied with the Chinese Communist Party, its military, and its intelligence services. Even CNN in 2018 admitted that CEFC leadership, above all Yi Jianming, appeared to be unusually close with Chinese intelligence. Before that, CEFC was run out of the Czech Republic thanks to its shady business acquisition, plus its efforts to buy off Czech politicians and influencers were so blatant that they got the attention of Prague's counterintelligence services. CEFC's activities in the Czech Republic represented a classic case of weaponizing a front company 
to lavish funds in the service of Beijing's interest. By the time Biden Incorporated decided to take millions of dollars from CEFC for unspecified services, it was known to Western counterintelligence to be a front for Chinese espionage. Again, by the time Biden Incorporated decided to take money from CEFC for unspecified services, it was known to Western counterintelligence to be a front for Chinese espionage. Moreover, Patrick Ho was identified by the FBI as a Chinese spy right when Hunter, Hunter Biden was becoming his friend and partner. I'm going to read it again. Patrick Ho was identified by the FBI as a Chinese spy right when Hunter Biden was becoming his friend and partner. What if that was Hunter's job? What if that Hunter was doing his job right there? To get close, befriend, and partner with Patrick Ho. Because he was a Chinese spy. CEFC started to come crashing down in late 2018 when Ho was convicted on multiple counts of bribery and money laundering, which the Justice Department only learned about because they were already spying on Ho, per the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. They were spying on Ho because they knew CEFC was a Chinese front. Therefore, the FBI had the goods on CEFC when they got into bed with Biden Incorporated. The intelligence community had to know in real time or close about the shady financial dealings between CEFC and the Bidens. Where are those intelligence reports now? That's a great question. So see, there's a way to read this and to think, oh, Grr, that corrupt, evil FBI, they knew how bad CEFC was, and they prosecuted them, but they didn't prosecute the Bidens. That's one way to read it. Or did they, did the FBI and DOJ investigate and prosecute Patrick Ho because they got the evidence on him? And they spied on him with the help of the Bidens. And then you got to back up and say, okay, when did the Bidens start being assets? How did this come about? And I think it came about unwittingly. I don't think that they intended to be assets. I think that they got caught engaging in exactly the type of activity we think they've been engaging in. I don't think Trump, I don't think it's kayfabe from Trump when Trump says that Biden is a criminal. I think that the Biden, I think Biden Incorporated is real. I think they were swampy. I think they were doing swampy deals internationally and benefiting from them massively. And I think they got caught. 
And I think they got approached by U.S. intelligence and law enforcement services. Um, and I think at first they didn't know that they were being surveilled. I think FBI and our intel services probably started surveilling them. I mean, they already had a, they had a FISA on Patrick Ho, so that means that they they would have caught on their surveillance. They would have caught all of Ho's conversations with the Bidens. So I think that they were caught years ago, and they were unwitting assets for a long time. They didn't know that they were being surveilled and that the surveillance of them was being used to prosecute other people. And then I think that once Ho was arrested and Yi Jian Ming was arrested in uh, China and disappeared, shortly after what happens, Hunter loads up his laptop and leaves it at the repair shop. I think he became a witting asset at some point. Around the, t around the time he dropped off the well laptop is what I would think. So spring of 2018 is what I'm thinking. The evidence for it sure is piling up. All right. I haven't seen anything from this yet, but John Brennan met behind closed doors, closed door meeting. He met with the judiciary, um, the weaponization committee. That's him walking in yesterday morning. I haven't seen him in a while. Still looks like the, the same mean old bastard he always was. Uh, really looking forward. Really looking forward to seeing what he said. I can't, I can't, I mean, thinking about what Morell, what we got out of Morell, I really want to know what Brennan said in this meeting. Um, and Brennan having already been interviewed by John Durham for eight hours, reportedly, back in 2020, means a lot of his testimony is going to be constrained. Like if he's asked about stuff going back before then, um, Really, really interesting. You're right. He is waddling. Good morning, music and fiction. Yeah. I wonder if he had or needs hip surgery. Jatriot, man, I wish I had said that. Jatriot just made a great comment in relation to uh, the Bidens and Patrick Ho. Um, he said that FISA works both ways, and we've always thought about FISA working both ways pretty commonly. We think about with Trump and with Flynn, Carter Page, those, right? But what if FISA works both ways is uh, actually related to the FISA monitoring of Patrick Ho, which extended to the Bidens? That's a good thought. Good morning, Sammy the Squirrel. Sammy says that he is that uh, uh, Brennan has always waddled. I guess I've never noticed. Or I've just forgotten. All right, so anyway, he met with them. Here's what Jordan had to say about it. 
Oh, need to unmute. There we go. Say when you put the screws to him. He said for a four-hour interview, Jesse, and he further confirmed that this thing was all political. Understand that Tony Blinken first contacts Mike Morrell and says, oh, what do you think about this laptop issue? And then Blinken later that same day, October 17, 2020, sends Mike Morrell the USA Today article, the story. That story gets put in the very letter that John Brennan, Mike Morrell, and 49 other former Intel officials sign on to. And they, again, just didn't sign on as Mike Morrell, private citizen, exercising his First Amendment rights. John Brennan, private citizen. They signed on as acting, former acting director of the CIA, former head of the CIA. They used their title. So, yeah, we expect, we expect uh, Mr. Goldman talked about public servants. We expect public servants not to use their title to end influence an election. And it was so political when it was all done, this talking point they wanted to give Joe Biden for that final debate with President Trump. It was so political. After that debate's over, the campaign calls up Mr. Morrell, thanks him for it. He gets an attaboy from Steve Reschetti, chairman of the Biden campaign. Sure. So, so it just further confirmed all that. So, Congressman, did you ask him why the CIA lies to voters to swing elections to Democrats? We asked him about what took place in the Publication Review Board, where it looks like someone, based on what Mr. Carrions, another individual who signed that letter, who had a different matter pending in front of that review board, gets called in October by that review board, and they said, your book is fine. Oh, by the way, would you like to sign on to this letter? So a, a, a current a, a employee of the CIA was actively soliciting people to sign on to this letter that was used in a total political fashion with all their names associated so Joe Biden would have a talking point in the debate. Why do you need a talking point if the laptop's not real? If it's all fake and Russian information, why would you need the talking point? And he presented it as if it was all organic. They just, just Shazam, it just happened out of the goodness of all these individuals' hearts. They wanted to do this as if there was no political motivation whatsoever. And we know that was not accurate. Met with him for four hours. I want that transcript. Okay. Moving on from that topic. Wall Street Journal reports that the NSA chief, Paul Nakasone, has said he expects to step down in the coming months. I think I grabbed. Oh, it's no, I didn't. I didn't do an archive link. Hold up, hold up. All right, for this is an education opportunity for anybody who's never seen me do this. All right, so if you want to read an article or look at an article or whatever from one of these news outlets, but they want you to sign in and they want you to sign up and subscribe and all this annoying stuff, and you don't want to do that, you just want to read the article, this is what you do. You copy the URL. You go to archive.today, which will resolve to something. It's archive.today is the home site, but there are, it will resolve to other addresses, .md, .is, .il, a number of them. So don't worry if you see that. That's why I'm mentioning it. If you go to archive.today and it resolves to archive.something else, don't worry about it. it. There's different nodes of it or whatever. Anyway, you take that URL that you copied. You paste it down here in the blue box. The blue box is going to search to see if anybody else has already archived it. If someone has, it's going to show up here and you can just click on it and it'll take you to the article. If no one has archived it, 
then it'll move it'll move it for you to this red box and it'll ask you hey do you want to archive it you can hit save and it'll archive it for you and then you can read the article it's great and you also do a service when you do this okay like if you if there's an article you want to read and you think it's interesting if you go and archive it, it's there forever and you've just helped everyone out because you've created an archive of the article for everyone else to use. So it's a good thing to do. All right. Nakasone, the director of National Security Agency, has told colleagues in the Biden administration he expects to step down from the helm of the nation's electronic spy agency and the military cyber command in the coming months, according to people familiar with the matter. General Nakasone is 59 years old and has said he is eyeing a possible departure in August or September of this year after spending more than five years jointly running the two organizations. One of the, um, his time, some, one person said it was August, September of this year. Another person said the timing is less precise than that. General Nakasone's plans could change in part because his deputy at NSA, George Barnes, is also expected to retire soon. The chief of NSA and Cyber Command is considered one, considered one of the most critical national security jobs in government. The role oversees two agencies that supply vast amounts of intelligence to senior policymakers by spying on foreign communications while protecting government networks from cyber attacks and supporting military operations. The timing of General Nakasone's departure could be further muddled by Sen Senator Tuberville's blockade on promotions of senior military officers. The Alabama, Alabama Republican has been holding up the promotions, which need the Senate's approval for months due to objections about the Defense Department's support for military personnel's travel to states that allow abortion services. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has listed General Nakasone's position among those due to rotate within the next 120 days. Mr. Tuberville's blockade could pose a clear risk to U.S. military re readiness, said Senator Warren. All right. It wasn't. Oh, and it, it wasn't. It isn't clear whether Nakasone is retiring or is going to take another position within the administration, such as vice chairman for the Joint Chiefs or another senior post. All right. The fact that. Lloyd Austin put the position down as one likely to rotate within the next 120 days tells me that this is a real thing. This isn't just rumor mongering um, or cocktail talk or chatter. This is a real thing. Nakasone is going to be on the move soon. Now, if Tuberville's blockade holds, then he may stay where he is because he doesn't, they don't want to leave these two jobs open. Um, they want to make sure they he leaves and they can put somebody in. But this is absolutely 100% something extremely important to pay attention to. It's going to tell us a lot. It's going to tell us about devolution. It's going to tell us about the state of the intel community. The person who comes after Nakasone is going to be very much working it, look, worth looking into. And I am looking forward to seeing that it is a uh trump pick i would not so far just about everybody that the biden administration is putting in place in key places are trump picks are people trump previously hired or appointed or praised or um elevated 
nominated, or a combination of those things. So I'm really interested to see who comes after him and to see where he goes. Like if he goes to the chairman or to the Joint Chiefs of Staff, if he goes somewhere else, it'd be really interesting to see where he ends up because strong chance that Paul Nakasone is one of the people who is the less than 10. So if you like the drops and the Q, the Q drops and you follow them, then you know that it is said that there are less than 10 people who have the full picture, who know the full everything about the drops and the plan. Okay. So if you type in less than 10, Um, let me find the one that has the breakdown. You can count the pe yeah, from drop number 60. You can count the people who have the full picture on two hands. Of those less than 10 people, only three are non-military. So seven of them are military. So Paul Nakasone is very, 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 very likely to be one of those seven. So where he goes is super important, and who comes after him is super important for those reasons as well. Now, Kim Sachs, who is a great follow on True Social, immediately after I posted this article was like, hey, check this out. This looks like one of those push him out articles. They want him out before the next election because they won't have the mass mail-in voting in order to hide from the NSA. Check out these drops. Promote mail-in voting as only safe method. It bypasses NSA election security that was installed for the midterms. This is what she's getting at. In that article... This right here. Nakasone also expanded election security work at both NSA and Cyber Command following Russia's multi-pronged interference in the 2016 presidential contest. Russia and other adversaries have continued to attempt to meddle in elections since then, according to current and former officials. But offensive operations overseen by General Nakasone, offensive such as the disruption of computer infrastructure by Russian hackers in the lead-up to the 2018 midterms, among a myriad of other factors blunted their impact, officials have said. We've recently covered a case where Cyber Command activated to shut down some uh, election interference in 2020 election. We covered that story like last week, I think it was. So in this drop, actually, drop 4620. I'm just going to go to drop 4620 over here. So 4620 says infiltration, only those who could or can be controlled via blackmail or like beliefs were installed in critical leadership positions across all political and non-political control and command positions. CCP, but meaning command and control, control and command positions, okay, not CCP Communist Party. CCP necessary to ensure protective blanket or insurance. Traders everywhere. Democrat Party leadership in joint ops with China 
in an effort to regain power. Question. It was never about the virus. Look at the sequence of events. Flynn, first strike designed to, one, cripple, two, prevent exposure of legal acts by Hussein White House and chain of command, through national security, intel, discovery, three, install controlled replacement, McMaster, McMaster removal of loyalist intel community, national security, install controlled, that'd be Dan Coates at DNI, to prevent D-class in the House and Senate, pre-install, Three and three more rogues. Referral to POTUS, McMaster, Coates, Ray, Bolton, plus, plus, plus. Install controlled. There's Bolton. Bolton removal of loyalist, loyalist intel community and national security. Now, I remember Bolton the other day. I saw, I saw something where he was saying that Trump shouldn't run. He needs to end his campaign now. Bolton is controlled. Intel community essential to control infiltra infiltration to prevent D-class and public exposure of true events. Candidates one and two. Illegal surveillance of our candidates one and two. That would be Trump and Cruz. Illegal surveillance of House members, of Senate members, of journalists, ambassadors. Mueller installed. Comey termination, loss of power, POTUS inside of box, prevent counterattack, impeachment installed. And then you get down to C-19 plan, the C-19 insurance plan. Impeachment termination was a loss of power. POTUS inside of box, prevent counterattack, C-19 stage one, inform POTUS, Intel, CDC, WHO, senior advisors, nothing to fear, do not close, do not close travel, do nothing. That was the political setup. Stage two, inform POTUS of doomsday inaccurate scenarios. The mo those models we were seeing, predicting death count of a million plus. Then the forcing lockdowns, wipe economic and employment gains that Trump had earned and would have run on. Stage three, activate controlled Democrat governors to spike the death count, project statewide fear by presenting alarm on ground conditions, hospital care supplies and projections. Stage four is push testing and to spike infected rate. Controlled MSNDC failure to report death counts proportional to affection, infection rate, et cetera, et cetera. Stage five, censor any opposing views. Ready when needed, activate four-year BLM narrative. It's amazing to look back at this. Eliminate record economic gains. Eliminate record unemployment gains. Shelter the Biden, shelter Biden family from public appearances. Limit his exposure. Shelter Biden from Ukraine exposure. Shelter Biden from presidential debates. Delay the dim convention for a strategic takeover of, of nominee. Eliminate or delay rallies. Eliminate ability for people to gather. The ability for people to... Uh, man. Eliminate ability to find peace and strength in the time of need. The church closers. Promote mail-in. This is the one Kim was getting to. Promote mail-in voting as only safe method. Bypass NSA election security that was installed in the midterms in 2018. And what's the article say? Nakasone expanded election security work at both NSA and Cyber Command. 
offensive operations overseen by Nakasone, such as the disruption of computer infrastructure used by Russian hackers in the lead up to the 2018 midterms, among a myriad of factors, blunted their impact, officials said. Now, sometimes I've um, I've said that oh, this was a uh, yes, yeah, this, this is drop forty six twenty. I've said that um, I said it at the the Arizona event, and I've said it on Devolution Power Hour a couple times that they can't the Dems and the Uniparty they can't steal the election from Trump in 2024, like they did in 2020, because we don't have this, this mail-in ballot situation. We don't have this pandemic with lockdowns and all of these other things that enabled the cheating to be outrageous, absolutely outrageous. Um, they don't have, they won't have that in 2024. They won't be able to cheat ever again like they did in 2020. 2020 was such a unique scenario that was part of their plan. They planned for it to be that way. Um, They don't have that available to them in 2024. And seeing this drop, looking at it now, and thinking about point number 10 right here, and then thinking about Paul Nakasone and what he did and then him about to step down. It's really, really interesting to think about how things might go in 2024. And um, I already see uh, someone already say R Wells. Thank you for saying that. I was about to go there next. So a lot of people would bring up, but Hey, they, there was cheating in 2022. Well, I'm not saying there won't be cheating. There will be some cheating. <laughs> oh, good morning, Ghost of Base Patrick Henry. I accidentally clipped on your name over here. Um, there will be cheating. There was cheating in 2022. There's going to be cheating in 2024. It just, but it's not going to be at the level that it was in 2020. It can't be. It's not possible for it to be. Um, it, 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 they can't cheat in the ways that they had. They don't have the. They don't have the opportunities that they had in 2020. And in 2022, they didn't have the opportunities. If they could have cheated in 2022 like they did in 2020, then the Republicans wouldn't run the House right now. Think about it. If they could have cheated anything like what the, in 2022, anything like how, how egregiously they cheated in 2020, then the Republicans would not have control of the House. And Dems would probably have at least six plus, probably more like 10 plus senators. They would have a margin of, there'd be like 60, there'd be 60 something dim senators. There's going to be cheating, but it's not going to be anything like it was in 2020. And um, that's why they had to do it. It's interesting to look back and think about that. They had to, they had to come up with a plan to allow for them to do mail-in voting because mail-in voting was not something that the NSA could observe and render quote unquote safe. So this is important news. Everybody needs to watch this space. 
we'll see where Nakasoni ends up. And again, good spot by Kim Sachs over on uh, True Social. All right. I need to leave soon, but before I go, Trump has filed an appeal in uh, the rape case. Always knew he would. Um, that's no surprise at all that he's going to file an appeal. He's filed an appeal. Good luck to him with it. Hope it goes well. In the Bragg case, he has um, filed to have that case moved to federal court. He should win that, I think. Makes all the sense in the world. I've read the filing. It's a good one. The trial for that, I think, or the hearing for that is set June 27th, maybe. Um, McGonagall. I was really excited about McGonagall being in court yesterday because I really want those files unsealed. Last I checked, they had not been, but uh, yeah, they're still sealed. Still sealed. I really want to know what these documents are, but they did have a hearing. Uh, they had a status conference. The next status conference, according to Inner City Press, is going to be in um, August or September. And it's, it's coming up later in the summer uh, because Shestikov, the co-defendant, the translator guy, um, his attorneys haven't gotten their security clearance to be able to look at all the discovery. So that's a big delay in the McGonagall case. And then Santos. Santos plead, he pleaded, pleaded not guilty. Of course, he's saying that it's a witch hunt. He's saying that um they're they're after him. This like just like they're after Miles Guo. He's a victim of the corrupt SDNY, all that kind of stuff. He's fundraising off of it. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, he was wanted in connection with some criminal charges in Brazil, but uh he made a deal with them. He had criminal charges from when he was 19. He's now 34. He was accused by prosecutors of using stolen checks to buy $1,300 worth of goods at a Brazilian clothing store in 2008. The embattled representative agreed to compensate the alleged victim in addition to an undisclosed payout. So he had a, ca a criminal case in Brazil for fraudulent checks from 2000, from, from when? from when he was 19, from 2008. And he just now took care of it. Okay. Anyway, he's got 13 criminal charges against him. I found this right here from this guy. He writes for some not so reputable sources, but this is what he had to say. So he's a reporter for Salon and MSNBC and Politico contributes to all those places. But Interesting thread that he had on Santos. He says, I spent months talking with George Santos for a potential documentary on him. My team eventually just ditched the project when it was clear he wanted lots of money. In our conversations, Santos offered striking remarks on his scandals and a notable Jewish impression. Audio is below. Talking about his district... Santos said, quote, you sit in a room with a lot of Jews, you're fucked. Then he assumed a fake Yiddish accent to say, oh, he's such a minch. She, he's such a minch. Listen here. Let me see. Oh, I got to unmute it. 
You sit in a room with a lot of Jews, you're f***. <laughs> it's, just it, 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 it's funny when the isms start coming out, right? Oh, she, you're, he's such a bad, she's such a bad child. And then they go on to the next day and it's just like, it, it, oh, that's a point. It, it's like, it's really bad. But anyway. Okay. Santos took unemployment insurance in 2020, but told me that his company had struck a deal at the time to make sure no one there was unemployed. This may support the charge that he took the money illegally. The government also says he secretly had a separate $120,000 job at that time. So the way I look at it is they're not understanding. If they, The question is simple. George, why was your income 55000 in 2020 and why is your income drastically higher? Well, here's the answer to that. I have, We struck a deal with the company so nobody went unemployed and got reduced to like a very basic salary just so we as we called it livable wages in the company um so we can get by because our industry was capital introduction via vis-a-vis -vis conferences vis-a-vis -vis speed dating all that in, in, in private equity and managing limited partner general partner relationships and investment groups so long story short i went from 2019 bringing in 400 and something thousand dollars to yeah in 2020 my reported income was 55k it was couldn't be more legitimate i actually qualified for unemployment so the okay he mentions right there he qualified for unemployment well this audio could be used in the case against him because in the case against him he took uh covid money he took he 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 got he gained unemployment um in his uh in his charging, uh, one of the things he did was Santos received $24,000 in unemployment funds from June 2020 to April 2021, despite working and receiving a salary on a near continuous basis. Despite all his scandals, Santos does not seem worried. Quote, we've seen McCarthy weather scandals so much worse. We saw Matt Gates survive a massive scandal. We've seen members survive scandals on the dim side. It'll be interesting to see what McCarthy says about him on his controversial campaign finance report. Santos said there was no criminal conduct, just an honest error, but then blamed the many lies in it um, lies in it on his unprofessional vendor campaigns unlimited, which is run by Nancy Marks and said the dishonest media should blame her instead on his mysterious income. Santos said, quote, I will go to the grave before anybody on this planet asked me to reveal information prior to relevancy of my service and office. I don't have to, I'm protected as an American citizen, not because I'm hiding anything just because out of spite, I won't do it because it's my constitutional effing right. And I'm going to hold on to it. People get to write whatever they want and call it freedom of the fucking press. I get to have my constitutional rights too. We'll see how that plays out in court. This may be the whole purpose here. I've been, um, part of me wonders if Santos is, I think he's, a, I think he may be a honey trap. I think he may be a honey trap for companies like campaigns unlimited and for a number of other things. But one of the things that may come out, one of the, the good developments that may come out of him being prosecuted for this is right here, him saying, I don't have to reveal anything about my finances prior to my service in office. 
We want that to change, don't we? I want people who are going to be elected for office to have to reveal a lot of things about their finances for, say, five years leading up to them being in office. That'd be great to me. If you're going to be in federal office, I want to know. I want to know your finances from the previous five years. This could set the precedent where we get to find that out. I think he's a criminal. I think he's guilty. Like, it looks like he is. Um, and it also seems to fit the pattern of how he's lived his life. Like, I don't think, I think he's a, um, I think, I think he's, I don't know. He's some kind of goofball something, but I think his whole life has been, he's just bounced around from lies to lies to lies. And I think he's a scammer and, uh, but I think he's useful. Um, we'll see. There is a, um, oh, I, did I, I don't think I, oh yeah, this right here from Chad program. Uh, by the way, they passed a border bill. Um, yesterday, tile 42 expired troops on the border. They passed the house passed a border bill, which is really strong border bill. And, um, we'll see what happens with it, but that is good news. Here's something else. that's really interesting. House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries is blasting the GOP over Rep. Santos. And you would think that the Democrats would try to engineer Santos' ouster from the House. They would want him to have to resign or not participate something. It seems like that's what they'd be going for. But Jeffries says he has not yet spoken with various members of his caucus who want to expel Santos, nor has he had a conversation about it with McCarthy. Jeffrey says that they've been consumed this week because of the debt ceiling talks. But here are the mechanics. Any member, any member from the House can introduce a privilege resolution to expel Santos. By its nature, the House must consider a privilege resolution immediately or within a two-day window. An expulsion requires a two-thirds vote if everyone is voting. The House has only expelled five members in its history. Here's the gambit. There are a lot of Republicans who have called for Santos to resign or have declared he isn't fit for office. So a Democratic resolution to expel Santos would put them on the spot. Democrats would likely have all 213 members vote to expel Santos. If they can get, what would that be? If they can get 87 or 77 Republicans to also vote, then they'll get they'll, the Republicans are going to lose a, a vote. So Democrats would be getting GOPers on the spot. Well, they need two thirds vote to get him expelled. This is politically exposed, explosive in and of itself. Moreover, Democrats will have created a toxic vote for GOPers if Republicans stand behind DeSantos and don't expel him. Democrats and the Democrat Congressional Campaign Committee could then weaponize the expulsion roll call vote against vulnerable Republicans from swing districts. So you see, like, this is a, this is something, it seems like a no-brainer that Democrats would do this, right? Get Santos, 
even if you can't get enough Republicans to vote with you to expel Santos, you can still get them on a roll call vote. And then you, anybody voting to keep Santos, you can run ads against them on that. Say, why is he, why are they defending this guy? Who's a fraudster, right? The Republicans could try to dodge the bullet. I said to Santos. <laughs> Santos, not D Santos. Santos. They could move the table, the Democrats resolution, uh, table Democrats resolution, expel Santos or move to refer it to the ethics committee, which is already investigating Santos. Those parliamentary moves would be made on the floor. If the house voted to table the gig is up. Santos remains in the House. If the House votes to send the resolution to committee, that extinguishes it too. Simple majorities are needed for those roll call votes. Republicans will have avoided a straight up or down vote on Santos's future, but Democrats could also use those roll call votes against the GOP by saying Republicans can't even bring themselves to expel Santos. Democrats can also make mischief for Republicans in another way. Let's say the House votes to expel Santos. He becomes the sixth member expelled from the House in U.S. history and the first since 2002. His seat on Long Island is now vacant. The governor, governor can appoint someone to fill his seat. There must be a special election to fulfill the remainder of Santos's term. Santos flipped that seat from blue to red in 2022. Democrats believe they have a better than even chance of winning that seat back. But it's about the math. If the House expels Santos... The new breakdown would be 221 Republicans and 213 Democrats. There are 434 members. 218 is the magic number to pass anything. So McCarthy's margin slips from four votes to three. Moreover, if Democrats were to win a hypothetical special election in Santos's district, the breakdown would be 221 Republicans and 214 Democrats. The magic number still is 218, but McCarthy still only has three votes to work with. That's his margin. So it's unclear why Democrats won't execute this gambit. Or at the very least, make Republicans sweat and give them a headache. One senior House source suggested to Fox that ironically, both sides need Santos around. For a potential vote on the debt ceiling. So, and I think that's it. I think that's what's up. Is that the House, the Democrats want, I bet the Democrats want to do this. They want to do exactly what Chad Pargram just spelled out here. But the debt ceiling vote, DeSantos could be a vote for either way. And neither side, it's going to be so tight. Neither side wants to enter. They want all the votes. They want everyone there to get on the vote. So after the debt ceiling thing is over, we might see a move by Democrats to try and expel Santos. And then we can watch the circus act play out this game that Chad Pergram just so expertly um, spelled out here. Okay, I have more stuff, but I actually need to go because I have somewhere to, on the I have a, a short errand to run before I pick up my uh, my youngest kid from daycare. 
Um, thank you, everyone. If you like the show, hit the thumbs up over on Rumble. I know on Foxhole or Pilled, it was working, but then it, the video stopped working partway through the show. I don't know if it's come back for y'all over there on Foxhole or not, but for me, it's still down. That's been happening with Foxhole lately. I go live and it's working for a time, and then like 30 minutes into the show, it stops working. But it, it's not on my end. It's something on Foxhole's end. I don't know what's up. Um, guys, I hope you have a great weekend. If you want to support the show, just share it. Just like it and share it. That's best. Um, if you want to do more than that, you can subscribe to my Substack, justhuman.substack.com. You can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com. Go to redwhiteandbourbon45.com and get yourself some merch. The coffee cups are great. Um, and so are the pint glasses. Or you can go to bensonhoneyfarms.com, use rep code JustHuman, get yourself some honey directly from the beekeepers. All of those links are in my link tree and in the description of the video. I will uh, upload a podcast version of this. If you're interested in getting this show as a podcast, I do it through my Substack, justhuman.substack.com. And it's real easy. You can just, it's free too. It's, it's totally free. You can just uh, go and select it and add it to Apple or whatever podcast player you use. And it'll update for you in your favorite app. So you don't have to go to Substack every time to get it. It'll appear in your app once you add it. Or you can use the Substack app to listen to it there. Um, what a great week. We've had a great week and uh, lots of awesome news going to take a break this weekend and uh there's no racing on this weekend next the weekend after there's racing there's imola and then the weekend after that is monaco which means that there's uh the indy 500 is coming up too so there's like may is a great month of racing but this weekend is a weekend where it's off um so i think that means i'm going to end up doing yard work and housework so pray for me. Anyway, I should get the mu exit music ready. Probably going to be doing yard work, sneezing all over the place, being miserable. Oh, well. All right. God bless each and every one of y'all. Thank you for all your support. Y'all have a blessed weekend. Remember, we're not going to win every battle, but we are going to win this war. I'll see you on Defected on Sunday night and then back here on Monday morning.